gets. Once you start scouting, it's like a disease. It gets in your body. You're infected with it. You're tuned in to the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your hosts, Russell Landy and Rick Saratello. Back at it again, Rick Raren, ready to go here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. I am your host, Rick Saratella. Of course, riding along, as always, Russell Landy, my partner in crime. And we're going to recap the week that was in Indianapolis. Yes, we're still recovering, but we can't stop. We won't stop. And we'll break it down all right here. What do we got up for you? Well, let's take a look. We got winners, losers, surprises, risers, sliders. Um, we're going to talk about the new format, what it means, what it means to the media, what it means to the coaches and GMs, what it means to the future of where the NFL Combine is headed. And I promise you, folks, I told you he was coming. I never fail to keep my word. We welcome him in now. He is Russell Landy, two decades of scouting experience right here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. Russell, have you recovered yet, my friend? Oh, I'm recovered. I'm ready to rock and roll, bro. This is football time. This is scouting time. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. And, uh, you know, we're going to break it down. There's a lot to get to, 337 players. We're going to try to cover as many of them as we can. So I don't want to spend too much time on the new format, but I will say this. We talked about it out in Indianapolis. The whole new format catered to prime time. Hey, uh, you know, I get a chance to go inside and watch the QB throwing sessions. Something that took an hour, hour and a half in years past is now taking four hours. By the end of the second throwing session, half the scouts and GMs have got up and left. Lucas Oil Stadium, my friend, nearly empty. And then the other thing I'm going to throw out there, we'll squeeze it all in together. Are we getting to the point where the new uh, Joe Burrow, Chase Young, hey, I don't need to do this stuff. It doesn't apply to me. Is that the new trend? Because... You know, I know uh, the trainers out there on the Twitterverse, they kind of got a little bent out of shape because Chase Young said, I don't need to go prove myself to be a track athlete. And some of the trainers said, well, hey, you know, you should go out there and dominate, prove that you're a dominant athlete. And it's like, well, hey, 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 hold up now. I think we know what Chase Young is. I don't think he needs to go out there and, and run a 40 ever. And I wonder if Burrow and Chase Young even did combined style of testing. I don't think they even need to work out their at their pro day, quite frankly. But hey, if the NFL is going to make all this money, cater to prime time, start selling tickets, take it on the road show, which, oh, by the way, I heard Jerry Jones made a huge bid to bring the combine to Dallas. So LA, not so fast, my friend. I know it's a lot. I know I'm long-winded, Russ, but I know you're the man to bring some clarity to the crystal ball. Well, first off, <clears throat> I've always been a believer that if you're an elite player, and I don't mean elite, that's what you hear in the media. I'm elite like NFL teams are legitimately telling you we're considering you in the top five. You're a guy that we're going to talk with. You don't have to go out there and put the workout out. I really, I really think there's a there's a bigger risk. But I will say for anybody that's not a guaranteed top ten or fifteen pick, you need to work out at the combine. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I understand guys work out better when they're at their home facilities, but when you skip working out at the combine, it's simple math. It just comes down to simple math. It's not whether being at your home place is better than the combine. If you work at the combine and you are terrible, you still have a pro day, and you can have a good day. If you skip the combine and you just happen to have a bad day at your pro day, that's it. There's no coming back unless you're an elite, elite guy no one's coming back to watch you work out another time. So Chase Young, Joe Burrow, yeah, they can skip it. For your average guy, huge mistake to not work out of the combine. Um, it's every set of eyeballs there is instead of just an area scout who's going to be at your workout. Because unless you're a top 10 guy, there's no guarantee you're going to have GMs and directors at your pro day. Um, in terms of the combine, you know, it's funny. The one thing we didn't talk about a lot while we were there, but I think we both saw it was, I think the hotel restaurants and bars make it like a bandit with this new setup because the team people that are working, they go right into the workouts when they're done. Even if they leave at nine o'clock, they're going back to their hotels and they're eating there or they're in there. 
the local restaurants in Indy, I wouldn't be surprised if they saw like a drop at 25% business this week from a normal combine week because the NFL people are not going out to dinner. They're, they're working. There's no time off. That starts at 4 o'clock with the timing. goes to 11 p.m. They're not getting to go to St. Elmo's. When was the last time someone walked into St. Elmo's like you did and got a table during the combine <laughs> before midnight? Never, ever, ever, ever does that happen. Usually you need a reservation months in advance. So I'm telling you, I wouldn't be shocked if the business was down 25% at restaurants and bars that weren't connected to hotels. No, it's going to be an interesting dynamic if the NFL does indeed just take this on the road, make it a traveling show. Hey, next year, you know, I think we're two years away from that, but we could see, you know, the combine, the medical and the media stuff happening in Indianapolis while the testing goes on in Dallas or the testing goes on in L.A. And now, you know, the other thing we didn't really get to discuss is, you know, the NFL announced when we talked to our good friend, Phil Blackwell, who conducts the NFL Regional Combine, the NFL announced they're doing the HBCU and the International Combine. And then when I was out in Indy, I found out that they're actually doing the next Top 100 Combine, which is great. And I think this could be a test run in the future where, hey, maybe we have the uh, Combine in one city and the next 100 in the other city. And I think they're going to grow this thing into a week-long event. I mean, we're pretty much already there. I think five days of testing. I could see this thing going on a whole week. And with the new 17th uh, game added, the extra bye week, all of a sudden I was talking to one of the NFL guys on the escalator. It's like, hey, we were talking about the travel schedule. I said, hey, next year with the new schedule, you'll be traveling from the Super Bowl right to Indy or wherever else the combine is held because it'll go from President's Day right into Combine Weekend. And, they, I mean, give Roger Goodell credit to say what you want about that, man. He has literally created zero off-season. Oh, there's no doubt. And, and think about this one. What if they say we're going to take the regional combines and instead of having them all around the country, what if they just say, you know what, we're just going to have all the kids come to Indy and they have sort of a, a lower-end combine in Indy and then the best of the best get invited, and maybe they expand the, the combine from 350 to 450. The best 100 from that lower-end indie combine get flown out to L.A., and L.A. has a full-on combine with 450 guys, and maybe it's a 10- or 12-day affair instead of the eight days it is now. And then all of a sudden you get I've... two events. The lesser-known combine gets televised for three days. The one in L.A. is televised like crazy in prime time. I mean, all of a sudden, more days. Yeah, it is amazing when you think about it. There's really about three weeks of offseason where the NFL is not the king in media. It's truly incredible. I give the people at the NFL League office credit because although I don't think they have a huge amount to do with the success of the league, I think a lot of that was started years ago with Pete Rizal, and they've just sort of been rolling downhill like a snowball. Hey, at least they're pushing it down the hill and they're trying new things. Um, they've usually been a re- very reactionary league, but in the last five or six years, they, I think they've jumped down and said, it's time to be a little proactive and try some new things. No doubt about it. This is Russell Landy, Rick Saratella here on the Inspector <clears throat> Scouting Podcast. Breaking it all down, recapping the week that was in India. I will say this, the final thought here is I agree with your sentiment. I think they want reality TV and if they turn the combine into one of these American Idol type of three or four day preliminaries leading up to the actual NFL combine, hey, the best five guys from HBCU, the best two international, the best, you know, 25 from the top next best 100. I think that's what you have in the making. Um, but enough of that. No doubt. Let's There's no question that. that would be huge, too. Everybody yeah. would be watching. No. Ratings, ratings, ratings. Okay, and props to the XFL who did top the NFL Combine in ratings. So we we did question if that would happen. So kudos to them. They have held steady. I know the uh, the, the Giant Stadium, the MetLife Stadium, New York Guardians. They went down to twelve thousand, I think, at their last home game. So I think you know a five thousand person drop off, but for the most part, attendance is steady, ratings are steady. If they hold like this, Russ, I think we'll see another season. Did you Have you had a chance to even pay attention to it? 
you know, I mean, I haven't watched much of it, but yeah, I think right now you can look at it and say there's a real strong likelihood we're going to have a second season. And I think next year is where we're going to really see, is this a long-term deal? Because it really just comes down to the simple fact, and I've had a lot of NFL people tell me this, that they love the, they love the idea of the XFL. They love a lot of things they're doing, but they say it really comes down to, is there a way long-term for this league to survive financially? It's not that people don't want to see it. It's can it survive? And that's really what you have to figure out is, are there going to be enough ratings? Because the ratings can't get down into the 200,000 person. They have to stay over a million. If they can keep them over a million for the ratings for games, they'll have a way to get revenue. Now, will it be enough to support a big, huge league? No. But the league at their level, we're not talking about billions a year in, in expenses. We're talking about 70 to $80 million a year. So if they can get to the point where they're averaging a million, a million and a half viewers a game, there's no doubt they could probably find a way to stick around as an alternative league. So it's exciting to see where it's at. Um, I'm, I'm confident there'll be a second year. The third and fourth year is sort of what's up in the air. Part of my concern, and you may have the same thing, is there's a lot of excitement about the league this year. I think the football's been pretty decent, except for the quarterback play so far. Um, but how's it going to be year two? People have seen the XFL. The excitement of, oh, it's a new league, it's back, is gone. They still Quarterback play is still an issue. Are people still going to tune in? Or are they going to say, you know what? I'd rather go watch whatever or just not watch football because I'm just not – thrilled about this play without the elite quarterback. So that's my only concern. I'm really hopeful. There's some great people there. We sat with Eric Galco on the panel at SMWW. I mean, there are guys like John Peterson who's been scouting forever. Trip McCracken, who was a salary cap guy forever. Some really good people working in that league, so you want to see it last. I will put out, though, that I did hear a rumor yesterday that one of the teams is about to fire their head coach. So just a little tidbit for XFL news that uh, a former NFL go. and CFL head coach could be on the hot spot down there in the XFL. Well, hey, if Russ Landy says it, you know it's true. He is one of the original scouts from the XFL, one of the few men walking this planet who have scouted for the XFL, CFL, NFL, college football. So uh, two decades of experience here. On the Infectious Scouting Podcast. You can stop saying two decades of experience. You can say been scouting a while. (laughs) I got to win where I can, Russ. I mean, come on, brother. Um, (laughs) Of course, you know, we got the NFLDraftBible.com. It's popping with great content. If you want to get a a head start on the draft, the uh, all-star. And and we just got to jump in there. That at the Combine, when we were talking NFL Draft Bible, we did realize it's got a new tagline. And that new tagline yeah. is the NFL Draft Bible, the only true Bible. So we need people to understand this is the best book going. So you need to get on it, yeah. people, if you want to really know what's going on in this world. Oh, we got T-shirts, bumper stickers. Uh, Russ is you know, not only a client, but also the president now here at the NFL Draft Bible. <laughs> <laughs> But no, we had a great time out in Indianapolis and shout out to all of our uh, familia and especially Ryan Roberts and Vincent Nicholson and, and Kate and Elizabeth and all of our crew that was rocking out with us. Uh, Barry Ozer, of course, and uh, catching up with all of our friends out in Indianapolis. So, uh, Russ, I think we've kept them waiting with the anticipation for long enough. Who are some, let's stick with the offensive side of the ball first. Who are some combine winners rising up the draft boards, in your opinion? Okay, first off, I got to say, all year, wasn't I saying Missouri tight end, Albert, last name I won't even try yep. to pronounce, is a Albert rock star. O, Albert O, all Albert O. freaking year, right? I've been saying this guy's a superstar first round pick, and he's sort of forgotten. I mean, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because they're off on stunt this year and you caught like 23 balls or whatever it was. I don't know what it is. But to me, when I graded Drew Locke last year, this guy jumped off the film and screamed, I'm going to be a star in the NFL. Well, he goes out there and runs a 4-4-9. He's super athletic. He's 250 pounds plus. This kid's going to be a star in the NFL. I think he showed people that, you know what? Yeah, my numbers weren't great at Missouri this year, but part of that may have been the fact that we were a bad team. And, and we did not have a chance to throw me the ball while because he's a good player. How about the little returner from uh, TCU? I mean, 
in this day and age where three or four receivers are out there and you want dynamic, explosive guys, I think this kid showed that every big play you saw on film at TCU, he backed it up and said, yep, that ex- that explosiveness and speed you saw, yeah, I just showed it to you here in Indianapolis because he was dynamic. And I got to tell you, anybody who's telling me that the Andrew Thomas kid or the big kid from Louisville, those, those are your, your, your elite tackles. Hey, let's not forget the kid from Iowa. The school that just every other year spits out a superstar offensive lineman for the NFL. This Wolves kid, who we talked about before the season, and both of us agree he's the better tackle. He's better than Alaric Johnson at Iowa, who people were hyping. This Wolves kid goes out and blows it up, says, I'm not only the best tackle, I'm a freak athlete. I'm going to do things that very few guys have ever done at 300-plus pounds, and he crushed it. I think he showed that when you watch the film and you see an elite player, you see the combine, you see a guy with his flexibility, his quickness, his explosion, the whole package is there. I wouldn't be shocked if some team in the first round, in the top five or six, a San Diego-type team, said, you know what, this is a guy we're going to jump on. We're going to solidify left tackle for the next decade. Well, you know, to your point, I think, you know, and, and this is where the combine is great. We're talking to Russ Landy, Rick Saracella here, breaking it all down Indianapolis the week that was. Going into Indianapolis, Russ, every day of the week I'd wake up and those big four tackles, Thomas from Georgia, uh, Willis uh, from Alabama, uh, Mecky Brown, by the way, who uh, I think is a winner in Indianapolis from Louisville. No doubt every he is. No doubt he's a winner. And I would wake up a different day and say, this guy's my top tackle. This guy's my top tackle. This guy's my – and I think you could have flipped the coin for any four of them, depending on what you're looking for. And I think that's what the combine really can help you is, hey, this this works, kid. Not only is he well coached, but this kid's an athlete. And all yeah. that talk about him having a pick inside the guard, guess what? I bet you nobody brings that up again. <laughs> you know, no, I mean, they hey, do, they're making a mistake. <laughs> right. So I honestly believe those four tackles all did their job. I think in the top 12, you're going to see those four tackles. And I'm going to throw one of my other winners in the mix, Jordan Love, into the top 12. I think you have four quarterbacks and four tackles in the top 12. I'm going to ask you about that in a second. But to your point, Rieger, I mean, to me, this guy, I, I I have a hard time seeing seeing him escape the first round. And then Albert O, I mean, I, I, I just want to follow up there because, to me, he is now the consensus number one tight end, first-round pick, in my opinion. Agree or disagree? I mean, he's got to be. I mean, some people will still take the Hopkins kid or the kid from Dayton, but I tell you what, if you put together the clip and pull every catch from Albert's offense or his play of Missouri the last few years, you really get a feel for how good he is. And it, maybe it'll help you forget about the fact that their offense is bad. He only has 23 or 26 catches this year. So I think sometimes those numbers get into people's heads and they start saying, well, he wasn't a major part of their offense. Like, well, he wasn't a major part of a horrendous offense. It's like he can't make everybody around him better. He's a tight end. He can't throw himself the ball. And, yeah, I understand he may not be perfect, and he's not the big, tall, 6'5 guy that you prefer to have him streaking down like Gronkowski. But I'll tell you what, for a thick-built kid who can get away from people, who's got natural hands, who catches in traffic, I mean, this kid, to me, does a lot of things that get you excited. Yeah, I mean, I'm envisioning, and, and granted, he's been kind of banged up at the NFL level, but I'm envisioning an Evan Ingram type of role for Alberto, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be somewhere in that sort of Evan Ingram. And there is a little bit, truthfully, when I watch him, there is a little bit of Gronk in him. Not that he's ever going to be that good, but because he's a thickly built guy and he attacks the the, the play, once he gets the ball in his hand, he is aggressive. I mean, he attacks at full speed. There's no hesitation. There's no, oh, let me dance around, guys. He just puts his head down and says, it's time to go to war. I'm going to run people over. So when you get that in a ball carrier, to me, that's exciting. All right, three other guys on offense I want to pick your brain about. To me, coming in, I view Jordan Love as kind of, on my board at round two, but I kind of understood the love for love as a round one guy. To me, and again, I had a chance to be inside those uh, throne sessions. Hands down, Justin Herbert dominated that first session. He was head and shoulders above the rest of those quarterbacks. Group two, I thought Jordan Love did the same. And listen, 
gym shorts and t-shirt that's that's what jordan love is is you know jalen hurts jordan love that's what they're built to do is look pretty out there against the thin ear but now you know you heard the buzz real buzz that he has now catapulted himself into top 12 consideration i i wouldn't put it past the nfl now we weren't in those one-on-one sit-downs and with the 15 minute you know speed date and I think that'll also determine how high he can go. But to me, Jordan Love was a clear winner when I, you know, went into the process questioning if he's a first round guy. Boy, he really dropped some some balls in the bucket that was rare. And now I understand it. Well, firstly, <clears throat> there's no doubt he's a winner. Now, do I think his film justifies being selected that high, no way. But when you look at just what he did in Indianapolis, he no doubt helped himself. Threw the ball better. I think he showed the arm strength that some people questioned. Um, like I said, I think what he did in Indy, definitely very good. I still don't think his film justifies being a high, high pick. Um, I, I just have concerns of with his overall game and consistency. But you're 100% right. He is a big winner from the combine because I think he showed people physically he can do everything. Now it's just a matter of, is he a guy that you really feel the film justifies taking that high in the draft? And we all know quarterbacks go oftentimes a round or two higher than their film indicates because the need to find the quarterback outweighs sensibility often and guys get pushed way up draft boards because they hope that they can coach the things to make them a consistent player after what they see at the combine in terms of physical tools. In a way, the quarterback class is somewhat disrespected, Russ, because there's so many QBs that we're talking about first round. We didn't even mention Eason or Fromm yet. But, I mean, there's potentially six quarterbacks that can go in round one. Is it a historic quarterback class, or is it just because so many teams need a quarterback that we're talking about all these guys in the first round? I don't know if I'd say it's historic. I mean, I think the reality is when you look at those top three, with a bear, even though I'm not in love with them, I, I see the I see the first round skill set there. Um, I think when you see two and you see Burrow, okay, there's three guys that to me are, are top of the first round guys. I think after that there does become a, a a sort of a pushing of guys up, like this is the next guy, and if we're gonna if we're at 19, he's probably not gonna be there in the second round at 19, so he's gonna get pushed up into that first round. Well, I don't know if he really would be a first round guy all the time. Um, so I don't know if I'd say it's a historic class. It's definitely a good class. Um, the reality is one or two of these guys is likely to make it. Um, I don't think this is going to end up being a year where you have a guy like Roethlisberger, Rivers, and Manning, where you have three. I don't think I really don't know if any of them are Hall of Famers, but three good long-term starting quarterbacks in the NFL. That's a rare year. I don't know if this year is going to add up to three guys being good starters, but you're going to get one or two quality guys out of this group. Okay, fair enough. Let's spend time real quick here on the running back class because, to me, you know I'm a Jersey guy. Russ, I'm I'm kind of scratching my head all season. Like, hey, to me, I feel like Jonathan Taylor's been so good for so long, he, it's almost taken for granted. And I'm thinking, why am I the only guy on the planet? And shout out to Joe Everett because he agreed with me. But why does nobody else think Jonathan Taylor's the top running back? Then he comes out, blows the roof off the, the Lucas Oil Stadium, you know, some teams viewed DeAndre Swift as the first running back. We talked about it on the last podcast show that teams had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as the first running back. I don't know, Russ. To me, Jonathan Taylor, I, I saw improved pass catching, improved pass blocking this past year. Now he's got legit four three nine speed. To me, this is the best running back in the draft class. Yeah, I mean, I think truthfully, the two guys, I mean, to me, I think sort of they're very different. It's either John Taylor or the kid from LSU. They're completely going to be used differently as professionals. But to me, those are my top guys. So I like DeAndre Swift. I think he's going to be a very productive player. But, I mean, Taylor's a guy that I look at and I think, okay, if I have to hand the ball to him and he has to explode through contact on inside runs, he's got that. He has to burst to get the corner. He catches the ball out of the backfield. He's a high-character kid. He gives a good effort in pass protection, although I think he's got to get better. Then I look at the Edwards Hilaire kid from LSU. Um, 
in terms of catching the ball, lining up all over the field, being a receiving threat, I don't know if there's anybody in this draft class that's really that special. That's a, that's a thickly built kid. He's not a little back. He may not be tall, but he's not little. Um, and I think he gets underrated because of that. he can run between the tackles. He's got niftiness. I think those two guys, to me, are the guys, if I'm at the top, those are the guys I'm considering, depending on, obviously, what my offense prefers, what I'm looking for, that power guy or more of a receiving guy, but I think both those guys are going to be very, very productive in the NFL. I like Swift. I think he's good, but I think those two guys are a level above Swift. All right, last one for you on the offensive side. Again, a guy coming into the process, I thought he was borderline late day two, early day three. After the combine rush, I have a hard time seeing him slide out of the top 50, maybe I'm wrong, and kudos to Chase because if you read the transcript from his podium interview with the media, every other question was like, hey, uh, well, how do you feel about converting to tight end? Hey, do you think you're a tight end? Did you add more weight because you're a tight end? No, Chase Claypool came out and ran, I think, a 4-4-2. I think he silenced any critics there in terms of being a tight end, and not only that, I think he's a lock for day two. Oh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think this is a kid that I think – and I think there's even a possibility <clears throat> that a team at the end of the first – I'm not saying he's a first-round guy, but, hey, you're that big, you run that fast, you're such a high-character kid. I mean, there's a chance some team late in that first can say, do we take him or do we take another guy that might be a little faster but doesn't have size? So, yeah, I think he helped himself a lot. And, and as is often the case – with kids that have high character and are tremendously productive in college, if they go to the combine and they exceed expectations athletically, all of a sudden teams feel much more comfortable going with a big grade for their production. Because they say, you know what, we saw the uh, sort of the evidence at the combine that athletically, although we didn't always see it on film, that athletically he's got what it takes at the NFL level. So we can say, you know what, everything we saw on film he's going to be able to do, and for a guy like Claypool, who's that big, he lines up way outside, lines up in the slot. He lines up right next to the tight end. They run him in all sorts of alignments and routes. I mean, this guy's got a lot of upside and potential to be a versatile guy that you can move around. Um, I could see, like I said, most likely second. But it wouldn't stun me if someone late in the first threw a dart on this kid. Yeah, it seems like all people do is, doubt him doubt him doubt him uh kind of like dk metcalf a year ago like hey we can't believe it it's not going to translate to the nfl uh don't be surprised if chase claypool becomes a major player at the next level hey well, it's Russell and Andy. think about this good when yeah. you compare it just because you mentioned metcalf because they're similar they're both big kids run fast metcalf was injured throughout college didn't have a ton of production this kid's been healthy primarily has excellent production so mm-hmm. if you're going to bet on one of them, if they were both in the same draft, you're going to bet on Claypool because there's yeah. no real red flags. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Metcalf, he exceeded, I think, and has stayed healthy and has shown a lot of positives. But I think Claypool could do even more. So if you're a team and, looking and for a guy, this could be a really intriguing pick. Yeah, to your point, I mean, if, if Claypool came out last year, he probably would have been in that first round. Now, this year, I mean, it's so locked and loaded. I mean. I just – I can't envision – I mean, however which way you want to pick them, Judy, Rugg, Lamb, I think those are the first three guys off the board. And then you still got guys like, you know, Justin Jefferson, the TCU kid we mentioned, Denzel Mims from uh, Baylor. Now, our guy, LaVisca Chenault, he's going to have hernia surgery. So, I mean, I don't know where now he fits into the equation. All I do know is if he slides to late day two, early day three – a big uh, upside pick. No doubt. So, hey, uh, Russell Landy, Rick Saratella, breaking it down here the week that was in Indianapolis. If you weren't out there on location to experience it and feel it and taste it and smell it and cook it and touch it and feel it, man, we had a good time. Um, <laughs> hey, Russ, I'm glad I'm, I'm giving myself some laughs here because somebody's got to do it. Um, you know, let's <laughs> – Let's talk about the defensive side of the ball. And, hey, I, I appreciate the analysis you're bringing today because, as you know, when you're out in Indy, it's kind of hard to keep up. You kind of come back home, uh, you know, recover for a day and then try to catch up on the week that was. So there's some guys here now 
that you made me uh, circle back to on the offense that I got to keep an eye on. Who are some guys now on the defense uh, that were rising up the board while we were, you know, shooting back some cocktails at Hooters over there? Well, I mean, there's a handful of guys. I mean, firstly, the DBs, Antoine Winfield Jr., Jeremy Chin and Kyle Duggar. I mean, these are three guys, I think, especially Chin and Duggar. These are small school kids, Southern Illinois and Lenore Ryan, respectively, that a lot of people came in saying, you know, I love the film. They they were really good, but they were smaller school guys. I want to see what they do on the big stage because it's sometimes hard for those small schools to get a true feeling for explosiveness, speed, because the guys they're going against, most of them are going to be working on Wall Street, or working as accountants, or working at McDonald's two years from now. So you really don't get a judge of the, the, the players that are going against. You don't know how fast he is. Well, they both come to the combine. They are in tremendous shape, work out very well. I think you can feel comfortable saying, you know what, I saw the film. I feel confident in his athletic ability. Now it's just a matter of how's he going to do when you throw him in with the Wolves at the top level, going against top competition. I think both those guys sort of showed they athletically can do it. I think Winfield, for whatever reason, he was sort of an overlooked guy, even though he was a stud player at Minnesota in the Big Ten. Um, for whatever reason, people didn't view this kid as an elite guy. I think he showed – He's a top guy. Whether that gets him in the first round, I don't know, but he's going to go in the first two rounds. And the last guy out there, we mentioned Claypool. That's one Canadian. How about Nevin Gallimore, the kid from Oklahoma? I mean, the kid comes there, blows up, runs well, works out well. I think he shows that for those people that were trying to figure out where he fit in the NFL, if he was a power guy or a speed guy, I think he showed that athletically he can probably fit whatever scheme you're going to ask him to do because he can do what he wants athletically. He can stop and start. He's got an explosion off the ball. He can run down plays in pursuit. I was really impressed with his overall week. Yeah, Gallimore, I mean, that's a guy you talk about the athleticism that uh, is highly impressive. And, you know, you're mentioning um, Soda. I mean, I'm sorry, you mentioned Antoine Winfield, who I had uh, mocked to Minnesota in my last mock draft in the All-Star Recap, 24th to Minnesota. He's always been a first-round guy, in my opinion, Russ. But to me, with Anthony Harris being an uh, unrestricted free agent and making $3 million in the prime of his career, I think the Vikings let him walk. How about pairing up Antoine Winfield Jr., right where his father played, pairing him up with that uh, other uh, safety that got there, Harrison Smith out of Notre Dame. How about that safety tandem? I mean... Yeah, no doubt. Right? So, yep, there's uh, no doubt at all. He would be a great fit up there, especially when you look at Coach Zimmer, what they do defensively, how they move their safeties around. They don't put their safeties in exposed positions, which not that this kid can't handle it athletically, but you never want to throw a rookie safety in a position where he's constantly exposed. You want to let him adjust to the league, give him that first year, give him a chance to get used to the league. I think they would do that up there, and I think this kid would show off and be a stud. And they got uh, Trey Wings and Xavier Rhodes. So, I mean, he would just, I mean, that would be the elite secondary in the league. Um, real quick, your thoughts on the safety class as a whole? Because, again, I feel like this is a positional group now that's kind of overlooked because how many guys are really going to go in the first round? You got Grant Delpit, you got Xavier McKinney, you got Aston Davis from Cal, who we didn't even talk about. Then you got Duger and Winfield and Chin. What's a realistic number of safeties in round one? I think it's probably going to be two. Um, I, it could be three, but I think you're talking about seven or eight before the second round is over. I think teams are looking at this saying, wow, there's a lot of depth. And the reason I say only two is I think teams are going to look at it and say, hmm, do I really want to take this kid at, at 20 when there's other guys that we have similarly graded they're going to be there in the 40 or 50 range. That's why I think you may see after those top two safeties, you may see a little bit of a dip. You may see 20 or 30 picks without a safety. And then I think you're going to see that run in the second round where sure go within the span of 15 picks because they're going to know once that first one goes, if you don't jump up and get one of them, you're going to be stuck without one of the top five or six safeties in the whole draft. But it's a really good class for safeties. There's yeah. no doubt. No. I'm impressed with it overall. I think there's a handful of guys that are plug-and-play, immediate impact kind of safeties, and uh, I don't think people are kind of talking about it as an overall positional group as we get closer to April here. Hey, we talk about it each and every week here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. If you're listening on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, 
or wherever the Twitter universe, please subscribe it, like it, share it, leave a comment. Hey, give us the respect we deserve. We don't like being the ride with Dangerfield of podcast. Tell a friend and spread the word because nobody prepares you for the NFL draft like we do. And hey, we're on location across the nation. We were out there in Indianapolis. Real quick, the front seven guys. How about the Davis brothers, uh, Khalil and Carlos? I mean, all they do, Russ, I mean, they're hovering around 300 pounds. They go out there and run 475, 482 uh, out of Nebraska. I mean, Malcolm Roach from Texas, the guy we had out at the NFL PA Bowl, 484. I mean, again, 300 pounders flying, flying down the line. We talk about it each and every year. These guys get bigger, stronger, faster. And then we talk about Winfield, the legacy player. How about Willie Gay Jr. Uh, out of Mississippi State, who, between his film and combine performance now, I mean, you're you're looking at a round one talent. There's some things off the field that need to be addressed. We'll see where he goes. But, I mean, I thought in terms of performance out in Indianapolis, uh, this guy really helped to solidify his stock. And then Sean Bradley from Temple, who, you know, I've been tooting his horn all season long. Uh, I've got guys in the league, you know, telling me about Sean Bradley now the last couple of years. He came out to Pasadena. He was an alpha dog all week long, uh, just dominating. And then he comes out and runs a 4-5-1. Uh, in terms of front seven guys, I think these are some money makers. I don't know if you care to comment on any of those guys, but, boy, these guys are really, well, first, really I, think, I think the biggest thing you have to realize is for two guys, for the two brothers to come in there and run in the unbelievable 40s at over 300 pounds, I think it tells you also, it tells you a little bit about just what is happening with today's, the way things are working. It's no longer possible for a player to finish his college season, get invited to the combine, and just sort of, you know what, I'm going to just stay in shape, do all my things, and go to the combine. No, everybody's training, even the guys who stay at their schools and work with that strength coach. Every single day, it's 40s. It's short shuttles. It's 225. They're doing everything to make sure they're perfectly in tune, and they're training not just on being in tune and lifting more and running faster. They're working on the technique. When you see some of these bigger guys and the way they come out of the 40 and they don't pick their head up, the way they stay with their head down, both those brothers did that. If you watch their 40s, they ran it right, and they came up with the perfect technique. I mean, it's really rare line and know what they're doing running-wise. But you see it more and more now, and it's just further proof that, unfortunately, if you want to be an agent, you better be ready to pay for some serious training because otherwise you're not getting clients anymore. Uh, it's it's unbelievable the amount of money being spent on undrafted, borderline fringe draftable guys. We're talking about twenty-five, thirty-five, close to $50,000 being invested in these young men. Um, you know, Russ, I mean, we got to mention Isaiah Simmons. This guy comes out. He, he weighs crazy. more than most of the running backs, and he ran faster than just about all of them. I found it surprising to me if everything stays as is and there's no trades and there's no movement. Let's just say, hey, the top four picks remain the same. Uh, I was on Giants.com. I was surprised to hear, even from the newspaper and media outlets in New York, that the, the whispers, and you know how you got to take it with a grain of salt, but the whispers coming out of the Giants front office is that they don't want to go all in on Simmons because they just don't have a definitive role. And to me, it's like, hey, you know what? You've got to adapt to a guy. Because like, to me, this is a cornerstone player. And, you know, well, I can and, and you know, the only on. thing I'll say to disagree with that is, and it's not saying he's not that type of player, but the one thing I'll give the Giants credit for, if that's true, if what you're saying is true, is the teams in the NFL that win and draft consistently are the ones that say, okay, coaches, what do you need? And you work hand in hand. And if their coaching staff is literally saying, yeah, we love this kid as a, as a talent, but we don't think we can fit him in and take advantage of it, then at least you would. If the front office is literally listening to that and saying, okay, if you don't think you can adjust, Stephen, to find a way to use him, then let's not risk taking him. So I agree with you. He's a freak talent. But 
I do believe that the communication between the coaching and the scouting is so vital that if they really believe that they're going to have a hard time using him and taking advantage of that athleticism, then I can understand Nevis and organization saying, you know what, we love what he could become. We're just not sure how we're going to use him, so we don't want to take that risk. Okay. Well, hey, I get it. I understand it. I'm saying it's right, but I'm just saying if a team's coaches and their scouting department are not in sync, you're probably going to screw it up anyway. So you may as well take the guys that you're confident you're building fits what you're doing. Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, listen, I get excited. Isaiah Simmons, Jabril Peppers, two guys who can move all over the field. If they can't figure out a way to utilize it, me personally, I'm looking at my coaches like, hey, uh, what are we what are we paying you to do? But I understand your point, and I think that's their point of view. And, and I understand that, too, and I respect it. But it, it, I'm just asking you, regardless of scheme, you're starting a team from scratch. Your draft pick is Isaiah Simmons. You're envisioning what role, what position at the next department? You know, to me, and, and for some reason, people have not been talking about this. To me, he's Derwin James. I don't, I don't get why people are trying to find it, uh, figure out where he fits. If you use him like the Chargers to use Derwin James, lining him up at safety, line him up at linebacker, safety and linebacker are his two best spots to me because that's where he can be in the middle of the field affecting stuff on both sides of the field. He could be a guy. I mean, you look at the Chargers defense, and it's great to have Joey Bosa up front and everything, but really when he wasn't there last year, that's when their defense really struggled was when Derwin James wasn't there. That's where the Royal Simmons could be. He could be that Superman in your back seven that he helps with the linebackers, helps with the safeties, provides everybody with sort of a level of comfort because he can make up for any of his mistakes. That's the role I'd want to use him in, a guy that you move around like a chess piece like they did in San Diego with Derwin James. All right, Rick Saratella breaking it down here with Russell Landy, Infectious Scouting Podcast each and every week. Count me down to Las Vegas. Real quick, Russ. I'm going to reserve your comment because I want to get into the losers. We're going to talk about some surprises and some final thoughts, but I just want to mention these names to our listening audience real quickly. A.J. Terrell uh, from Clemson, I thought, moved so well in the drills. Uh, this is a first-round guy, no question about it. Essang Bassey from Wake Forest, I think he really helped boost the stock and say, hey, kind of remember me. He was highly rated on the Blackstone National, kind of lost some draft stock throughout the season, but really tested well. I think it solidifies mid-range mid uh, draft stock. And then Legarius Need, <laughs> I mean, we had this kid out at the NFL PA Bowl. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, we were raving about his 82-inch wingspan. He goes out to India, runs a 4.37. He's like 6'2", 41-inch vert, 11-foot broad. Uh, this young man is really, really going to be uh, a valuable asset at the next level. And then one under-the-radar guy, I could have saved him for surprises, but he's no longer a surprise to me. In fact, when I watched FIU, I was watching the FIU film there was two or three other players I was watching on defense that were on my radar. This Stanley Oliver Thomas, this is a good-looking player. He's raw. He's got some length to say athleticism. He ran a 4-4-8, but if you watch him in this film, he is sticky in coverage. Stanley Oliver Thomas, this might be uh, the best cornerback that nobody's talking about. And, you know, if you want to get some comments in there, Russ, we'll, we'll just roll it into the um, next segment. Uh which is losers. I, I'm, really I, I, I'm going to let you go with those because I saw bits okay. and pieces. But I didn't see enough of those guys to really jump on in and Good. say, let's, right. let's so let's talk, let me talk deep about them. Let's shift gears. I'm riding the mountain bike. I'm shifting gears. I'm going uphill now because after these performances, we're fighting a battle. We're, we're really in an uphill climb to your point at the top of the show. We didn't do well in Indianapolis. We're going to have to rebound at our pro day. Who are some guys that didn't really uh, perform that you thought they would? Well, I mean, you know, it's funny. Chase Young doesn't work out, but his draft stock actually goes up. We could have listed him as one of the winners because coming into the combine, everybody was saying, yeah, Chase Young's elite, 
But AJ Penza, this is a guy who really should be challenging him to be like right there on his coattails. And I think what you saw from Penza was what you and I had talked about. This kid's a hell of a football player. He's a big power defensive end, great technique, going to be a very strong physical starting power defensive end in the NFL. But he's not a special athlete. He's not a guy that jumps out at you in terms of explosiveness and ability to get that corner. And I think at the combine, I think when you see a defensive end that runs a 5 1, that, that petrifies you. I mean, if you remember, and I'm sure you do, when Terrell Suggs came out, and Terrell Suggs was not just a good pass rusher in college, he was a dominant guy at Arizona State. I mean, he crushed it, and he ran a 4-9, and people were shocked he went in the, in the, in the top 10. This kid runs a 5-1. There are a lot of teams that have a cutoff of 4-9 or 4-9-5 to use on a defensive end in the first three rounds. Now, I'm not saying he's going to slide. He's going to be a first-round pick, but – I think he's definitely put some questions in people's eyes about is this guy really a defensive end in a 43 scheme? He may have put himself in a position where he's more of a 34 guy who's going to have to add some weight and be a power end or a power end in a 43 where you still play a big and a small guy. Because I think a lot of teams are going to say, you know what, we don't think he can be an edge guy in a 43 after that lack of quickness and explosiveness you showed at the combine. Well, you know, and, and you're saying he's still going to go around one. I'm not so sure. I mean, I, I saw the Boston College kid ran uh, 4.85 or 4.9 from uh, a couple years ago uh, to Tennessee. Howard Landry, I think, you know, he ran yep. I think he ran a disappointing time and, and, and winded up doing well. But I don't know. Ebenezer, I always kind of viewed him as a 34 personally. So, um but you, I mean, we've talked about it. I don't think either one of us was ever in love with this kid. Um, yeah. I'm just saying first round. I just think he will, based on all the discussion of it all year. Do I think he's right. a first round player? No. I think he's a hard nosed, yeah. tough, physical second to third round guy. Be a good, solid starter, but he's not special. You know, Zach Moss was a guy we discussed on the last podcast and said, hey, you know, I heard he might not test well. Four six five unofficial. I know we've made the Al- Alfred uh, Morris comparison. And to me, it's good and bad. Yeah, Alfred Morris came in. I think he had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, but he was also out of the league in four years. Four six five for Zach Moss out of Utah with the injury history. Is, does he get drafted? Where do you think about this guy? He's going to get drafted. I mean, I think teams will overlook that when they get to the beginning of day three. Um, But it's sort of a Kareem Hunt situation. I mean, Kareem Hunt was a tremendous player in college, ran in the four sixes. Teams get weirded out by running back to four sixes. But if you look at what he does as a runner, if you this is a guy that three years from now, and I don't think he's going to be a superstar, but I could be going to be seeing him being a solid guy in the NFL. If you're a team that wants a guy who catches the ball, who's a tough physical runner, who's willing to pass block, you can get this guy in the late third or fourth round. That's great value for what he did in college. So I I think this guy, he's going to definitely get drafted, not as highly as I think some people were talking when they were hyping him as a first-rounder two or three months ago. But And and that time definitely hurts him, but he's not going to slip through undrafted. And I'll throw throw two other guys that to me really – just overall did not help themselves. I mean, you talked about Love really sort of pushing himself forward to, to challenge. I really came to to the Indy sort of hoping that Eason was going to sort of step up and be that guy that sort of threw down the gauntlet yeah. and said, see, I'm a stud. A lot of inconsistency there throwing the ball. Obviously, we don't know what went on in the interviews, but the inconsistency throwing the ball, he'll get a chance at his pro day to fix that, but it makes me wonder if this is a guy that probably in that third, fourth round, some team's going to take a gamble on because he did not show that the inconsistency we saw on film is something different now. I think people saw the same exact player thrown at the combine that they yep. did at Washington, which is great two throws, bad seven throws. Yep. And the last kid, exactly. and you texted me about him, Trey Adams. I mean, yeah. where does this guy fit in the NFL? Now, it's important to remember, and I kept saying this when we were over at that uh, – that the, the alternate combine the three days before it is what Hall of Fame or borderline Hall of Fame NFL offensive lineman was ever the slowest man at the combine. And that was big Eric Williams running a five eight nine. So I'm not gonna kill Trey Adams and say a five six means he's done, he's never gonna be a successful guy. This is a guy with a lot of injury problems throughout his college career. 
definitely an upright kid who's stiff. So you add that in with a lack of speed. Um, I think this is going to hurt him. I do think he's going to be a late pick because I think if teams just take the best clips that he's shown, there are some really positive things there. Um, it's just whether you can get him to play at that level in the NFL. But I do think he's going to get picked, even though he did a disappointing combine. It's amazing because we were talking about him as a first-round guy two years ago, and he comes out to Indy. And you wonder, Russ, I mean, not for nothing, not only – he was last in every athletic testing drill. You, you wonder, did the guy even train for the combine? And then – you wonder, like, did anybody even talk to him? Because his his questions, his questioning on the media platform was was really weird, bizarre. Um, and I don't know how his NFL team interviews were, but you just wonder, like, did anybody prep this guy at all? And then you wonder. Yeah, you it's it's, wonder, it's an odd thing. Yeah. So, well, two other guys I'll mention, and I hate to dwell on it, but. You know, Jalen Elliott, they, they had the two Notre Dame safeties down there at the Senior Bowl, Aloha Gilman and Jalen Elliott. I think Gilman was the more kind of immediate impact player, but Elliott showed some flashes where uh, I thought, you know, maybe long term, this guy has a, a chance to develop into being a player. He comes out and he's a four eight zero as a safety. I mean, that's just a death sentence. And then on the offensive side, Jared Pinkney from Vanderbilt, who if he came out a year ago, I mean, we were talking about him as a potential first round guy. He runs four nine six officially as a tight end. Again, just a death sentence. Do either of these guys stand the shot of getting drafted at this point? I mean, Pinkney, I think you will. I really do. I think late in the draft, somebody will throw a dart. Um, a team that's saying, you know what, we feel confident with our first guy as our starter. We like this kid's skill set in terms of catching the ball, versatility, intelligence. Yeah, he may not run ideal, but if we're talking about a backup, a guy who comes in as our number two, we'll consider him. Um, obviously, Pinkney would be greatly helped if on his pro day he can run a four eights at least, um, <laughs> solve some of that at least. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he didn't help himself. And it's interesting because you talk about Adams being hyped as a first rounder. When this season started, Pinkney was being hyped as the best tight end in the country. It was amazing. And you look back now and you say, well, how did that happen? With all these great tight ends around the country, especially that kid from Missouri that have been hyped all year. But how did that happen? And and it's just, it doesn't surprise me. When you watch the film, certain guys don't show that burst, which reminds me, I got to bring up one other guy. The Tyler Johnson kid from Minnesota doesn't even work out. What is I mean, on? this is a kid who said, what's that? What is, I mean, what is going on? To me, I just, I just updated my wide receiver rankings. And to me, a guy who can't compete, he can't compete at the All-Star game, he can't compete at the Combine, not because he physically can't compete, because he chooses not to. I, I couldn't even find a home for him before my top 40 receivers, Russ. Yeah, it's a really strange thing, because I think everybody would agree. Smarts, intelligence, awareness, instincts, and even ball skills, because he can catch anything. He's rare. But the problem is, when you watch the film, he can't get away from anybody. And I wonder now if he's been working out, if he was working out knowing he was going to get the combine in, and no matter what he did, he was timing in the high four sixes, low four sevens, right bet low four sevens. And I wonder if he said, you know what, I'm just not going to go to the combine. I'm going to skip it and either work at his pro day, which I assume he's going to work, because if he doesn't, I don't, I don't know what the excuse will be, or he's going to try to just go in the draft and basically say, I didn't get to run, and see how that works, which I think will be a disaster, because I don't think if he, if he does not run, he will not get drafted. Whereas if he runs, and he somehow runs in the mid to high four sixes, he'll get picked late with the hope that he can replicate some of the success he had at Minnesota in the NFL, despite not being a blazer. But yeah, it's very strange to me why he didn't run. I don't understand that because unless you know more, I've not heard any, any stuff about him being hurt. I've heard this is by choice, which is very strange right. to me. And to me, if you're scared to compete, you're, you're just off my board. Uh, so I'm sure other teams feel that way. That'll be an interesting case study real quickly here. Surprises. I'll give you three on my end. One, I thought it was surprising that the Montana linebacker comes out. He jumps 41 inches, Russ. You say, hey, 
this guy's bound to have a great combine. And then he comes out and runs a 4.88 in the 40. And you say, oh, God, I don't think he's getting drafted now. Um, the other surprise to me was uh, Van, uh, Van Jefferson, who we talked about on this podcast numerous times. He goes down to the senior ball and just wrecks people, destroys them in the one-on-one. He comes to the combine. We find out he has a broken foot, has to have surgery. So he was just whooping guys up and down the field down in Mobile, which is impressive. What about now, I think he might even slide to day three, but this is a great value. And the last surprise to me, and again, say what you want about the man, but you've got to respect the legacy. He's a Hall of Famer for a reason. When Gil Brandt says this Rhode Island junior wide receiver, uh, Colt Turb, he ran a 4-4-5. Gil Grant is saying when we look back in this draft, Coulter is going to be one of the guys that we look back on and say, how did we miss on this kid? You know, I mean, firstly, anybody with Gil Grant's track record, no doubt. I mean, I'll trust him more than pretty much anybody I've ever worked with in football. A few guys to me that, that were surprises. How about Josh Kelly at UCLA? How about a guy that keeps getting sort of overlooked and overlooked, can't run, can't do this? He goes out there, has a great he workout. He was on my list, too. Proof. He was on my list, too. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, here's a guy, everybody's writing him off. I mean, he's got to be in discussion to be in that second round now, to be to be the third or fourth back off. He's a legit guy. On the other side, disappointing. One of the guys that I thought had a chance as a real sort of slot receiver, a guy that can do some things, the K.J. Hillkid from Ohio State. And, and he's a little guy, and he runs in the mid-four sixes. I mean, that's, whew, that scares you. I mean, I know shorty timing and everything, but when you're a tiny little guy and I'm counting on you to get separation, 4-6 is not the number I want to see. I mean, that, that scares the bejeebers out of me when I'm talking about a kid that I think's got some juice to him and can make plays out in space, and he didn't show any of that on the field. And I can't remember the kid's name, and you probably know, how about that receiver who vertical 22? What are you doing? Have you not screened? I mean, come on now. I mean, 22, <laughs> that's a lineman jump. I mean, come on. That's, that's brutal. You show up at the combine, you, you wrote a 22. I mean, that makes me really wonder, A, if you've even been inside the weight room this year, and B, if you have, then this may not be the profession for you. Because if you've been working out and you don't vert better than that at 190, 195 pounds, you're probably not an NFL guy. Well, the, the the player I think he's talking about is the other Rhode Island receiver, Colter's cousin, uh, Aaron Parker, who was down at the East-West Ryan game. So, um, you know, Russ, we could sit here and, and talk about the combine probably from now until the, kickoff, until the draft starts. Uh, it's been an enlightening experience, as always. Uh, another combine down in the book. I'm not going to ask you how many combines you've been to because I don't want to date you, Russ. But, I mean, uh, every year we learn something. Every year we have a fun time. Uh, for you and I personally, I think this was our this was my most uh, enjoyable uh, week. We pretty much hung out every day for a week straight. Um, any party stops, memories, things that you want to share with our listening audience before we wrap it up? And keep it PG. Well, firstly, it, firstly, it was one of the best weeks ever. So I don't want to hear this is this is my last combine from from Big Rick of the Draft Bible. <laughs> so that's baloney. You better be out there next year because I don't know what to do. I'll be sitting around bored out of my skull if, if you're not there. I'll have to deal with a bunch of the retards and losers that come out there and hang. No way. And secondly, I got to give a shout out to all your guys, the NFL Draft Bible guys that were there, especially Joe. He's the guy I got to chat with the most. I mean, great group of guys. I mean, Joe's not only doing your thing, but there he is on the side trying to have his career and be a professional musician and travel all over the world and audition for these cool jobs as a classical musician. I mean, that guy's amazing. I was blown away by Joe getting to know him. So happy I got to spend some time with him. So it was an amazing week. I can't wait to go back. And you can say what you want. You're not only going back to the combine, you're going to the, back to the BSN combine. So I can't wait to be able to do that next year also. Have that crazy three or four days with Jimmy Kibble. You and me are going to have some fun. Hey, when Russ Landy says it, you know it's true. I don't know how I'm going to fight that. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was – and I'll tell you this, Russ. I've been going to the combine a long time. I will say this, brother. It was my most fun week 
in Indianapolis. I know you're not a big fan of the city, but it was my it was my most enjoyable weekend in Indianapolis. So uh, I'll leave it at that. You know, just, we'll, just, uh, yeah, I'm just gonna throw one thing in. I mentioned that I was in Indianapolis to somebody yesterday, and his response was, "Why? Just why would you ever want to go to Indianapolis?" Yeah. So it ain't just yeah. me, man. It ain't just me. <laughs> well, we'll leave it there, but we'll be back at it again next week. And, and, and as Russ mentioned and alluded to, the guys at the draft table, shout out to Joe Everett and Brian Roberts and all the guys behind the scenes, Drew Schweitzer, Samantha, my wife, really bringing it all together. And we're, we're crossing the T's and dotting the I's. Nobody, hey, trust we're the last hard copy book standing. Say what you want, brother. Uh, but we're the last NFL draft guide publication that you can legitimately buy and receive a book, not a magazine, a novel. And um, That's right. And remember, again, for, for anybody who doesn't know, Rick is the yeah, man. Okay. When you walk around Indianapolis with Rick, everybody, NFL, <laughs> CFL, agents, players, they all want to talk with him. And I'm just going to throw in one more note. For player, if anybody's listening to this, the player – that, that wants to play pro ball and maybe the NFL isn't happening or you got your chance that didn't work out. Calgary St. Peter's tryouts, March 14th, yep. New Jersey, March 15th, Atlanta. Go to the stampeters.com for the whole schedule of our tryouts. We need players so we can win the Great Cup this year. So come on out, work out. We're going to be finding guys. We need guys. This business never stops, as Rick says. Can't stop, won't stop. That's that's the draft bubble quote. He should he should get start charging people to use that. That's what it is, and there's nothing better to do a podcast with Rick. Well, hey, I appreciate that, Ross. I'm looking forward to the Stampeders workout, specifically in my neck of the woods out there in Trenton. Uh, what, what's the actual town? I know it's outside of Trenton, but Lawrence, in New Jersey. New Jersey. March- Lawrence, New Jersey. Now, will they let Lawrence, you off the shore New that day? Lawrence, New Jersey. Are they going to have the bridges up so you can, come to, so you can only, leave the shore that day? It's only an hour from the beach. I'll be there, brother. That's <laughs> 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 Out there in Lawrence, New Jersey, March 14th, it's going to be a big turnout for my tri-state area brethren, but make sure you keep it locked and subscribe here on the Infectious Challenge Podcast. We'll be back next week. We'll talk about some pro day action, and we'll uh, count down to the 2020 NFL draft in Las Vegas. For Russell Landy, Rick Saratella, we'll catch you next time, everybody. Once it gets into your stream, there's no vaccine. You've got the sickness, too. Thanks for listening to the Infectious Scouting Podcast.